I was out on Wednesday evening, which is a little bit of a miracle in my life. Out on the town, out in the big smoke, living life. At my age, it's a rare thing. But anyway, I was out with some other pastors in the vineyard movement. And uh, I was sitting next to a lady called Debbie. Debbie uh, leads the vineyard movement, actually. And she's uh, an incredible woman. And I was just talking to her. And I was in that moment where I thought I was being really interesting. And um, she suddenly looks away. I'm like, oh, great. Obviously not that interesting. And what she does in that moment is she just looks over and she catches the eye of the waitress. And she just looks at her and she says, oh, this might sound a little bit strange, but I, I think I've got a word, word from the Lord for you. And um, I don't know how you feel about that. Do you mind if I share that with you? And so uh, the lady was a bit taken aback, obviously not her average moment. And so she, so she was up for it. So she was like, yeah, why don't you tell me? And so Debbie, in that moment, she, was, she just spoke into her life and she said, I just see you as an adventurer. And the Lord has made you, you're like a wild horse. And I just need to tell you that the Lord absolutely loves you. That his, his love is so great for you. How do you feel about that? And so um, she was like, do you know what, that is so true. That is exactly who I am. That, uh, the Lord has made me adventurous. He's put that on my heart. I'm here, but looking to move on. And she's like, can I pray for you? And so there in the middle of the restaurant, ministry time taken from the church to the street. And do you know what? There's just this wonderful moment of this lady just being prayed for in the middle of this restaurant. And the reason I tell that story is because it's a picture of one person in this city that doesn't yet know the Lord. But actually, sometimes being interruptible, sometimes that moment of just being like, Lord, is there anything that you want to say? That we're his ambassadors, that we're his hands and his feet. And we have we have this power from the Lord inside us, this Holy Spirit, to see what God's doing. And so we want to see that person, that, that amazing waitress. And we want to see her come into the kingdom, but ju- not just her. May she stand for the other people that we long for those yet to come, to come into the kingdom. That's what I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that they might be captivated by Jesus. That's what we talk about in our church, being captivated by Jesus. Jesus, But that's not just for in this room that we're captivated. I pray that that waitress would be captivated by Jesus. That's the heart behind it. That's the picture of what we long to see. As Matt mentioned, next Sunday is a big Sunday for us that we're launching the the north site at 11 a.m., in case any of you are thinking of going. Actually, if you go early, you're very welcome to set up. And it's 10 o'clock start, and you are welcome to be on the kids' team. Um, Just, I'm not joking, by the way. Um, Anyway, about 50 of our adults and 30 of our children are going north. And we're launching a site in in the north of the city. We'll become one church, three services, and two locations. Get your head around that. But, so... This, this is a big Sunday. This is a commissioning Sunday where we are commissioning our site pastors. Matt and Alice, who will be taking over here. Paul, who's going to be leading the evening service. And um, Ian and Sophie. And so we're celebrating them. We're commending them to you. I'm commending them to you. And I'm saying that these are great leaders. And we're excited about what the Lord wants to do through them. And that we're standing and we're stepping into our Joshua chapter. We've been talking and preaching through the, the book of Joshua over the last number of months And this is the moment where we step into the river. 
tonight it feels like, oh, it's the Steffi moment, it's actually going to happen. And as you came in tonight, this might be your first Sunday. If this is your first Sunday, it's probably a good Sunday because it gives you a picture of what we're about as a church. It tells you a little bit about our vision. Is that our vision is that over the next five years, by 2023, we would have five sites across this city. I spoke from Isaiah 54 last week, and it talked about this, just this picture of it extending to the right and to the left and to the north and to the south. You know, that picture of stretching your tent wide. That's what it talks about in Isaiah. And do go back and listen to that talk if you want to. But it's an audacious dream. But God dreams are always audacious. If any of you have had a dream that the Lord has placed in your heart, and I'm sure many of you will, generally it's audacious. And you have to sit there and go, God, how on earth is that going to happen? That you are going to need the power of the Lord to achieve that. Otherwise, it's doable in our own strength, isn't it? We, it's multiplied by the power of God. And so the vision isn't just to be a bigger church. Do you know what? That does not fill me with excitement. <laughs> it's hard enough as it is. Uh, I don't mean that rudely. But the vision isn't just to be bigger. The vision is about people. If we ever lose that the heart of our vision is about restoring the city, renewing the nation, restoring the city one life at a time. Because when we talk about this picture of restoration, it seems so big that we can't get our heads around it. But when we bring it down to the one life, that's why I started with the picture of that waitress, that story, one life at a time. When we put that person in, then suddenly it seems doable. We can begin to pray for that one person, to build for those yet to come across this city, whether it's the lost, the lonely, the broken, the prodigal, the friend, the neighbor, the refugee. And what is it that we're building? What is it that we're inviting them to become a part of? It's an environment. It's a church. It's a community. It's all of those things where God leads. The first thing is that his, his presence would be tangible, that when you walk in here, my prayer would be that you're like, oh, there's something different in this environment. I don't know what, it's just the power of God is present, that God leads this church. If you want to know who leads this church, God is in charge. This is his church. This is his bride. One day he's going to come back for a bride. This is his bride. Where lives can be restored to fullness, as I've talked about, where demons flee at his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. If you've ever prayed over somebody and prayed the power of God, thing. It's just amazing what happens. There is power in the name of Jesus. We believe that. Where healing and salvation is expected and available. It's just the norm. It's like that we would give an opportunity for people to come into this beautiful kingdom of God weekly, where welcome is extravagant. Sophie talked about the first week on the video. Sophie was on the video. When she talked, she said, it felt like coming home. Do you know what? That's what I long for, that when people walk in here, they're like, oh, it's like coming home. That is the greatest compliment somebody can pay. You know, it's like, oh, it's like coming home. I was extravagantly welcomed. That we welcome people in where generosity is commonplace rather than it's the exception. They shared with one another. It talks about in Acts 2. Where gifts and talents are nurtured and encouraged. Where deep community is formed and lives changed. It's easy to do shallow community. Shallow community is... I don't really want you to challenge me in any way. That's what shallow community looks like. Deep community is where you begin to knock um, the edges off one another. As iron sharpens iron, it talks about in the scriptures. Where God's heart for the outcast and the destitute is on display. Where deep friendship with God is cultivated. Deep friendship. Where children are nurtured and they're shown how captivating Jesus is. When we talk, I talked about our kids' church earlier. 
But our prayer isn't that it's this babysitting service. Our prayer is that people's lives are radically changed, that the kids come in and they come out and they're captivated to go back into their environments, back into their schools. My daughter recently invited one of her friends um, to church. Um, No Christian faith at all. And she came along, and then a couple of weeks later, her mum was like, oh, I invited her to go to the Splashy Park on Sunday. That's a big deal when you're nine. And, And she said she wanted to go to church. What have you done to her? Isn't that the greatest compliment ever? Like, Splashy Park or Captivated by Jesus? Going with Captivated by Jesus. Where youths know how deeply they're loved by Jesus in a culture that's utterly lost, where the Lord's power is on display. We can see him moving, where God is glorified. All of those things. In order for this to happen, we need to see God's provision. At the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to give and pledge for this vision. Some of you will have never given before in your lives. And do you know what? There is no expect, it's not, this is not an obligation that I'm talking about at all. This is just an invitation to what the Lord's going to do. But in order to turn this vision into reality, we, we need to raise £160,000. And the, the little brochure that you had just talks through what the heart of our vision is. This will support launching the North site fully funded for two years so that we can send them off for two years. Uh, investing in Cardiff Central. We are so passionate about what the Lord is doing here. Yes, we've got people moving to the north, but we're so passionate about the power of God moving in this place. And so we want to invest in some of our outreach stuff and some of our newcomers. We want to prepare for future sites. As I said earlier, this isn't it. The Lord has said, do not settle. And so he's asking us to multiply. And then he's asking us to multiply again and again and again. That's the picture of what we believe the Lord's asked us to do. And then the final 10% is to things set apart fund. There's some amazing stuff going on in our city and beyond that we'd love to bless. There's something called The Message, which is doing schools work across our city. Their aim is to be in about 50 schools in November. We want to just bless them and say, do you know what? We stand with you as you go into the schools, and here's a financial gift to you. We want to support our vineyard family in India as well. There's there's 3,000 churches around the world, and we've been given such amazing resources. We want to bless some things that are going on around the world as well. So that's exciting to see all of those things happen. If you've got a Bible, turn to John 6. If not, it's just going to come up on the screens. We're going to be looking at a passage that talks all about the principle of multiplication, It's a story of miraculous provision. So John 6, starting at verse 1. I'm going to give you seven seconds to get there. It's really easy on a phone, isn't it? Like, so fast. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse 10 tells us there are about 5,000 men. But actually, it's only talking about the men in this passage. The, the number was far more likely to be 10 to 15,000 people. We always think of oh, feeding the 5,000. Think about it as the feeding of the 15,000. In the story, there's a boy who had two little fish and five loaves. And we're not talking, when you're thinking about bread, I don't know how much of a bread snob you are, but some of you, when I'm talking about bread, you only associate bread with sourdough now. That's kind of how snobby you are. Others of you are more hovis. 
But most of you, no, I'm not saying most of you, no, I'm not casting any aspersions. Um, I'm going to take that one back. I'm more of a Tesco Essentials man. Uh, as I think about, other people are thinking about these massive four-foot baguettes. So just, just think about this bread. We're not talking about any of those things. We're, when we're talking about these loaves, we're talking about five little tiny pitters. They were pretty pathetic. And two pickled fish. Oh, yum. Love a bit of pickled fish. Where does a miracle begin? Where does a miracle begin? We long to see miracles happen. How does it happen? A miracle begins with an awareness of need. That's the starting point. If I want God to work in my life, I've got to admit it. God, I need your help. God, I'm desperate for you to break in. For many of us, this is surprisingly difficult. It's surprisingly difficult to just acknowledge, God, I need, I need you. I, I desperately need you. We, but why? Because we don't like to admit our problems. We often prefer to hide our problems, cover up our problems. In fact, we love to blame other people for our problems. Have you tried that one? Transference. Here you go. And pretend that our problems don't exist. But the first principle in this story is that God doesn't work in our lives until we ask him to. He doesn't save us until we ask him to. He says, ask and it shall be given. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. In James 4 verse 2, it says this. It's really concise. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Why don't you ask me? So we come to Jesus and we say, God, I've got a major need in my life. Sometimes God breaks in anyway, but usually, usually, he waits in order to ask for us uh, to ask for help. Do you know what? As a, as a church right now, in this next chapter that we're stepping into, we need God's help in every single area, genuinely. Every single area. We've got enormous need. More people are joining. We need to multiply and make space for those yet to come. If you came this morning, it was so full. It's amazing. I walked in. I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. And we've got momentum and energy and people coming. And they're coming with, they're not just coming to fill a seat or a pew. We do actually have pews. That's amazing. Um, they're coming with ideas. They're like, I would love to do this. I would love to start this after school club. I would love to be involved in this ministry. I would love to start that. Ideas are being generated. Where the presence of God is, dreams begin to be released. And we're so excited about that. But we're aware of that need and we're bringing it to God for his provision. We don't want to look back and say, do you know what? We would have gone after this multi-site vision if we'd have had more money. We'd have, do you know what? We'd have planted this north that would have been a brilliant idea if we'd have had the provision. Instead, so often what happens is God births a dream deep inside of us. You ask anybody that's had a God dream, what happens? It starts with this, this incredible picture of what the Lord might do. And then out of that, it's like, well, God, how is that ever going to happen? And then what happens is he brings us to the point where we're face down on the floor and we're like, God, you're going to have to show up in order for this to happen. And then we step into what the Lord's called us to. Lord, we believe that you've spoken. We plan well. And Lord, we need your provision. But often in life, we find ourselves doing what we see the disciples doing in this story. Because what happened is we see these three self-defeating behaviors. And, so, and each one of you might kind of tap into one of these and go, yes, you're talking about me right now. Procrastination, number one. Avoiding responsibility, number two. Or just getting anxious and worrying, number three. So the first one, firstly, the disciples procrastinated. They put off dealing with the problem. They delayed it. Notice Mark 6.35. By this time, it was late in the day. 
So any, anybody could have reckoned that at some point, this massive group of people was going to get hungry. Oh dear, we've got a mega problem coming. We're out in the middle of the desert. There's no place to eat. What's going to happen? But they put it off. And that's what so many of us do with our problems. We delay, we procrastinate, we put our head in the sand and we pretend it's not there. It's like, I am just going to look over here because I am not acknowledging that this problem's actually there at all. The truth is, procrastination only makes things worse. It's like putting your essay off. You know, I just put it off till tomorrow. It's going to be so much better tomorrow. Probably won't. Have you ever tried putting your tax return off? That's a terrible idea. Procrastination never solves any problems. What it often does is just make the problem worse. Hoping pro the problem will go away doesn't work. In, in our situation, as I really ex I kind of unpack this last week, I could have just stayed where we are and just gone, oh, do you know what, let's settle. This is a lovely, lovely club. We can just have a wonderful time. But I do not see that in the scriptures. You look at the book of Acts and you see this, this gospel fire. It was wild. The birth of the early church was wild. People were taking risks. People were sharing their faith. That's the picture that we have. Secondly, the disciples effectively, so the first one was procrastinate. The second one, the second one is the disciples effectively said, you know what? It's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility. Mark 6, 36. Send the people away. That's a very sensible suggestion. They're basically saying, Jesus, we did not ask these people to come and see you. We didn't ask. They came. It's their fault. It's their fault that they're hungry. It's not our responsibility to feed them. They're hungry. Tell them to get lost. Go on, just tell them to go home. Tell them to go into the countryside and find a supermarket. Get themselves some food and some dinner. Feeding them is not our responsibility. We could be tempted like the disciples to think, well, do you know what? This is our church. The city's not really our responsibility. It is. The Lord has put us as believers into this city, into these environments. And he's saying, I want you to minister in them. I want you to care about them. I want you to care about people. We're the ones that the Lord has to work with. Look around you. These are the brothers and sisters that the Lord's given you. And we've got the privilege of being here now and the responsibility that goes with that. Thirdly, the disciples got anxious. We worry about our problems if we prayed about our problems as much as we worried about them, we'd have an awful lot less to worry about. Do any of you think that? You might have walked in here today and you're just like, man alive, I'm worrying about this. Let me ask you this. Did you pray about it? What happens is when we begin to pray about things, do you know what? Not always. I'm not saying they go away the first moment we pray about them. But what happens is when we begin to give things over to the Lord, there's this beautiful exchange that happens. Cast your burdens upon Jesus. You know, it's like we bring them to the foot of the cross. We bring them before Jesus, and it shifts. Notice what the disciples did. They said, imagine the expense. Verse 7, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I wonder how Philip came to saying that. Did he get out his calculator at that moment and begin to work it out? He's like, there's 10,713 people here. That's 50p each. That's about 20,000. 20,000 pounds for one meal. And their anxiety goes into overdrive. And I can imagine Peter and some of the other guys saying, Jesus, how are we going to do this, feed all of these people? How can we possibly find that amount of money? There's just no way we've got this. What they've forgotten is who was standing next to them, the son of the living God. God was standing right by them. This is the person who all, had already created the equivalent of a 1,000 bottles of wine. 
He knows what extravagance is. I love that first miracle that we see. I love the fact that Jesus didn't make two bottles of wine. He was like, do you know what? I'm just going to take some water and I'm going to make a thousand bottles of wine. It's epic. It's big, isn't it? I agree. Um, He'd already stilled the storm and he'd raised the dead. In John's account, it says the crowd was there for a reason. Verse 2, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he'd performed on the sick. Why was it that they came? They came because they were captivated by something that Jesus had been doing. They had seen that he, he had power, that things shifted around him. Jesus is standing right there and they're looking for a human solution. And we do this a lot. When we have a problem, we so easily forget that God's with us. And he said, I'll help you if you just come to me. But first, I must admit that I have a need. We have a need. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Mark 6, Mark records the same story, but in Mark 6, verse 37, here's what what we read. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give, what are we going to do? You give them something to eat. We do our part. So secondly, God's maths is different from ours. John 6 verse 7 says this, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough uh, bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? God's miracles are often based on very different mathematical calculations. If an accountant read the New Testament without the eyes of faith, it would drive them crazy. Because you just can't figure out God's maths at all. God says that he's going to pay the worker who comes in at the 11th hour the same wages as the person that's worked all day. Well, that doesn't seem very fair. Jesus says, well, it's not supposed to be fair. It's all grace. It's all grace. God's maths is different from ours. The boy's lunch couldn't even be divided by 10 people, let alone 15,000 It needed a miracle just to feed 10 with that lunch. If a situation needs a miracle, it needs one, and the size is not a big deal to the Lord. The size of the miracle. He's in the miracle business. Some of you, as you think about giving, will be tempted to look into your bank account, and you're going to see five little pita breads and two little fish. Very small pickled fish. And you might think, if I sell those pitas and sardines, I'll have a little bit of money. But I do need to spend whatever it is on the new thing that I need, fill in the blank. I've got student loans, I've got replace my car, new washing machine. Some of you are like, I'd never buy a washing machine, but that's all right. (laughs) Once I subtract out all the money that I can pay, I'll give this little difference. Do you know what? That's not how the Lord's maths works. Jesus thinks so differently. When he says to Cardiff Vineyard, he says, you feed them. You know what he's factoring in? He's factoring in himself. When we look at our resources, we often don't factor in the Lord. We say, well, this is all I have. But God can make you infinitely creative. God can give you ways to increase things. I, was, I shared a story this, this morning that I hadn't meant to share, but I just really felt it was the Lord. Um, just shortly after um, I'd graduated, I, I had a job um, with the church, and they prayed me the royal sum of six grand for the year. And uh, my wife had just graduated from, no, she was still a student, sorry. And um, we felt like the Lord is just still continuing asking us to give. And so we'd reached the point where we could have really done with a car. Anyway, we just started praying and someone turns around one day and they're like, would you like a free car? Yeah. 
I was like, you know, I really need to think about this long. Yes. Yes, I would like a free car. So anyway, had this free Toyota. Beautiful car. It was ugly. But it worked until it blew up a year later. Anyway, it blew up. So I was like, oh. Back on my knees, praying for another car. Somebody turns around and they're like, would you like, a, would you like another free car? But they didn't say that, but that's kind of teller's license. But they were like, do you... Do you, do, you want a, do you want a car? I'm like, yes, I'd love a car. And then I looked into the insurance, and it was like 540 pounds. I was young. Uh, it was fast. I called it the Millennium Falcon. Anyway, they, it was so quick. So anyway, they gave me this free car, and I was like, I can't afford to pay the insurance. So they were like, would you like me to pay the insurance for the first year? I was like, hallelujah. Yes, I'd love you to pay the insurance for the first year. So that was a win until that car blew up. On the side of the M1, it went up in flames. And um, so again, carless. And then what was amazing was I got the insurance money for that car blowing up. So I guess my point is, <laughs> don't lend me your car. I have a bad track record with cars. <laughs> I guess the point that I'm making is, if we don't factor in the Lord, it looks ridiculous sometimes, but the Lord is amazing. And so all of those little miracles along the way, but that was part of us just being obedient with what the Lord, we gave through that whole period. We gave because that's what we, we believe the scriptures talk about. But so often it's that question, if I give that much, what will I have to fall back on? If I pledge that much over the coming years, how will I be able to survive? That's the whole thing with giving. It's like, I'm willing, are we willing to trust all areas of life to the Lord? It's a big thing. Our money is a big thing in our lives. He already has in mind what he's going to do. They had no idea how this obstacle could be overcome, but the Lord already had in mind what he was going to do. That's what it says in the scriptures. Um, thirdly, the boy gave what he had. I'm sure that in the crowd of 15,000 people, somebody had brought a bigger and a better meal. This probably wasn't the creme de la creme. Somebody out there probably had a much more extravagant meal. Wine, Brie, French bread, a little Chateau Neuf, for those of you that like a tipple. I bet there were some better meals out there. This doesn't sound great. I hate pickled fish, but I would have taken it in that moment. This little boy became the hero, not because he had the biggest meal or the best meal, but because he gave what he had to Jesus. He gave the little that he had. That's, what that's the picture of what it's talking about here. He said, this is all that I've got. Lord, you can have these. Like the widow who Jesus observed giving two copper coins recorded in Mark 12. It says this, Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. God will use whatever we give him. He'll take it and he'll use it. God likes to use ordinary things like us to do extraordinary things. God likes to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. That's what we see in the scriptures. That's why the scriptures are so faith-raising, aren't they? Because we see these disciples who are so average on many levels, and God's just picked them out, and they just see these wonderful things happen because they're obedient to the Lord. It seems from the text that he gave it willingly. He gave it cheerfully. He gave it immediately. It seems he just volunteered his lunch. He was like, here, have it. 
He did it cheerfully. We don't sense him giving it grudgingly or complainingly or, or resenting or worrying. I've got to think about what I'm going to eat. What am I going to do with my lunch? He just, he just gave it. He did it immediately. He didn't hesitate. He didn't know what God was going to do with it. That's the kind of giving that sparks a miracle. From the boy's point of view, he gave what he had and God multiplied it. That's why I love this picture as we're stepping into this thing, is that we have a God of multiplication, not just addition. That's my experience of following the Lord, is yes, we can see these additions, but sometimes the Lord just, we give in our obedience, whatever it is, like tiny amounts, but the Lord loves to multiply it. And then what happens is sometimes he prompts somebody to give who's got far more money than us. And it, and it triggers something, but it's an obedience thing, that the Lord loves our obedience. The, the boy gave what he had, number four. God's miracles often require our participation. If we want to see people healed, we need to lay hands on them and pray for them. I've got a great example from this week. I love sharing stories that are like two days old. They're the best, aren't they? This is from Kathy, who actually shared on the video earlier. She keeps getting healed. Um, it's just not right, is it? <laughs> 17 allergies. That's not enough. I'm going to do my back this time. So the Lord is loving doing that. I, I've got her words here. I'm just going to read out what she said. She said, I had a back injury eight years ago, which left me with a lot of pain and two curves in my spine. So it was an S shape rather than a straight line. It hurt when I lay in bed, sat down or stood up for more than five minutes and when I did any kind of sport. In ministry time at leadership year on Thursday, a few of the group prayed for my back. As they were praying, my spine went ice cold and felt really weird, so I knew something must be happening. It's God talking there. When I got home, my husband felt my spine and said, there's only one slight curve at the bottom now and my hips sit much straighter than before. Since then, I've been to, to a gymnastics class, nothing like trying it out straight away, and had no pain doing things that caused me so much pain before. I'm still so in shock and in awe that my back feels so much better and I feel so free to move after so many years. Thank you, God. Come on, if we can't get excited about that. So take healing. What had to, what had to happen? Some people had to pray for her. That's how the Lord works. Our participation, John 6 verse 10, coming back into the passage, have the people sit down in groups on the grass. They had to go over to the people and say, could you please get into groups of 50? This, this must have been a terrifying moment. We're going to split you up into all of these different groups of 50 and 100 and give you absolutely nothing. It's like, Lord, you are going to have to provide extravagantly. They were getting ready for God to do something amazing in their midst. So Mark 6, 39, Jesus directed them all to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. It's funny when you stop and think about it, isn't it? Trying to divide two fish into 15,000. It's not clear from any of the accounts whether the food was multiplied in Jesus' hands as he kept breaking the fish and the bread or whether he gave the disciples a handful and it multiplied as they gave it out. It doesn't say. Whichever it was, it involved the disciples in the process of feeding the crowd. I prefer the view held by many teachers. I respect that the multiplication happened while the food was in the disciples' hands. In the Bible, over and over again, God just doesn't do something from heaven apart from the hands of man. 
God required the priests with Joshua that we looked at a couple of months ago, they had to step into the river. They had to stand in the river before he wasn't, it was in flood. They stepped into the river and the Lord did the miracle. He required the people to circle the walls of Jericho round and round and round. He doesn't knock the walls down just by himself instantaneously. We participate and the Lord acts. As we play our part, it releases God to move. As we step out in radical faith and in doing so, say to God, we want to walk in complete obedience to your call on our lives. That sets the stage for him to act. Some of you have only recently joined us. And you might be holding back a bit thinking, oh, do you know, I'm just settling in. Perhaps I'll, I'll leave it to the old timers. Do you know what? Let me encourage you not to leave this to, to those who've been around for a while. If this is your church, be ready to give what the Lord asks of you. As I said before, no matter how much or how little we have, if we will give as sacrificially as God asks us to, it releases him to ask someone else to give what we would love to give if only we had to give it. And then finally, this is my final point, you'll be pleased to know. God's provision is more than enough to meet the need. Verses, verse 12, when they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The people had enough to give away to others. Isn't that remarkable? The, the boy goes with the little bit that he has, and then he's probably given this massive armful to go home with. You could imagine them just handing it out afterwards, 12 baskets afterwards. Do you know what? As people walked out, they're like, do you want to take some food home with you? The Lord's done a multiplication job. It's amazing. It is. I love that the Lord is so extravagant. We see that. We see his generosity. He doesn't just give enough. He gives more than enough. They have an abundance to give away. So just to recap, that a miracle begins with an awareness of need. We get on our faces before the Lord. The Lord speaks and we're just like, God, provide. God, break in. God, move. Secondly, we need to remember that God's maths is different from ours. Thirdly, we give what we have. Whatever it is that the Lord puts in our hands, we are called to steward that before the Lord. He does the rest. God's miracles often require our participation. Fifthly, God's provision is more than enough to meet the need. We put our hand in his and to the best of our ability, run with him, doing our best to keep in step with the spirit. That's the picture. If we do, it'll be a miracle. It will involve hundreds of hearts surrendering to the Lord's will in a way that can only be attributed to God's wonderful orchestration. Do you know what? There is something about God doing miracles in our lives. There's also something about seeing God do miracles in bigger groups as well that's a joy to behold. Because you're part of something. It's not just you. Yes, we long for God to break in into our, lives, our own lives. But being part of family, it's like, oh, we, work, we pray about things as a family and we see God break in. Um, and we put the outcome into our loving Father's hands. We're stepping into this next chapter in faith. And for this next chapter, we're asking you to give generously, to give for those yet to come. We need to raise 160000 for the next two years on top of our regular giving. We've given out the booklet explaining this. It should be near you. And in the booklet is a pledge form. Um, I've dropped mine somewhere. But you might just want to grab yours if you've got one. And it will be so helpful for us if everyone who's intending to give could complete that this evening and hand it back in. Completing the pledge form means we can work out how much of our total we've raised and let you know how we've done over the next couple of weeks. 
You'll see on the form that there are two ways that you can give, either as a one-off or by monthly payments over the next two years. For me and Jen, we didn't have anything in a one-off, but we can give in monthly payments. That's how it's going to work for us. If you're able, you can then action your pledge straight away. The wonders of smartphones and banking apps. Details of how to do this are on the back of the form and will come up on the screen too. If you can't action it today, then that's okay. The finance team will be in touch to follow up any pledges. We're going to have a few minutes where we're going to allow each one of us just to pray, to ask the Lord what he's asking of us, and then if you're able to, to complete the pledge forms. You can use the envelope provided to pop your pledge form in once completed. At the end of the time, some baskets are going to come around to collect the pledge forms. Now, it might be that you're just visiting here today, or maybe it's even your first time here. Please know there is no obligation to give. No obligation at all, but there is an invitation. Or maybe you need more time to think about the amount that you can give, or maybe you need to chat to your partner about it first. If that's the case, just fill out the form, leaving the amount section at the top blank, but fill out the rest of your pledges and intention to give, and we can follow up in the next few weeks. We know, as is always the case, that this will look different in every single case. I also want you to know that if this is your first time here, we do not do this every Sunday. This is the second time in 10 years that we have done this. It's only the second time, but we believe that the Lord is calling us into a new chapter, and we need to see the Lord's provision in order to do all that we think the Lord's asked us to do. So I just wanted to let you know that. We know that God can take what we offer and multiply it for his purposes. So the invitation today is to give cheerfully and not under obligation. Wherever you're at, we're going to take a couple of minutes of personal fraction, and then we will collect the completed pledge forms in at the end of that time. So we're going to have two or three minutes. After that, what's going to happen is the baskets will come round, but I'm going to commission the guys who are going to be leading the sites in a minute. So after two or three minutes, which is just a wonderful joy to be able to do, to, to pray over them and to see what the Lord does. And I'm also going to pray over the baskets as well. So why don't you just have two or three minutes and just see what the Lord's saying to you.